Welcome to the Marietta First United Methodist Church Podcast. Marietta First is a community of disciples dedicated to living and serving faithfully our local community of Marietta, Georgia, and around the world. We are glad you're here. It is our prayer that this podcast offers you hope and grace on your own journey of faith. invite you to remain standing this morning for our scripture lesson. We'll be reading from John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. Early in the morning, Jesus came to the temple again. All the people came to him, and he sat down and began to teach them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and making her stand before all of them, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery. Now the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They said this to test him, so that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. When they kept on questioning him, He straightened up and said to them, Let anyone among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And once again he bent down and wrote on the ground. When they heard it, they went away, one by one, beginning with the eldest. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus straightened up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, sir. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, go your way. From now on, do not sin again. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. This morning we are concluding our summer, our summer sermon series called Cultivating the Fruit of the Spirit where each week we have been exploring a different facet of the fruit of the Spirit. Today, we are looking at gentleness. I must admit, gentleness does not come naturally to me. It's not a characteristic listed out in my personality profile. I'm not naturally a gentle person. A while back as a church staff, we took the Enneagram test. Any of you familiar with Enneagram have taken Enneagram? Yeah? It's great. It's great. Uh, and Enneagram has been around for a while. And then, uh, so we took the test, and a trained individual uh, was brought into the church to help staff understand our Enneagram number. I really enjoyed it and think I benefited a lot from it. According to this Enneagram test, I, and I agree with its conclusion, I am an Enneagram 8, which is referred to as the challenger. According to, and Reverend Julie would say amen. (laughs) According to Enneagram Institute, eights are self-confident, strong and assertive, protective, resourceful, straight-talking and decisive, but can also be egocentric and domineering. Eights feel they must control their environment, especially people, sometimes becoming confrontational and intimidating. Eights typically have problems with their tempers and with allowing themselves to be vulnerable. 
I must tell you this morning that I struggle with my qualifications for preaching a sermon on gentleness. At the beginning of the pandemic, and I'm sure maybe our other clergy can attest to this as well, the beginning of the pandemic, I felt like my role as a pastor and as a youth pastor switched heavy to be more of a video producer. Uh, So since we weren't able to meet in person, I was recording a lot of videos, editing a lot of videos, uh, learned how to use a green screen and do a bunch of different stuff like that at the beginning. And so in the basement of our house, I uh, each week would prepare a message for uh, children's ministry. And so I had a green screen that I I put together up there out of uh, construction paper, um, out of like butcher block paper, whatever it's called, is green and it worked. And um, I had a tripod and I would use my phone and thankfully had some experience editing videos and stuff like that. And so I had written up a script and uh, was, was recording my video so I could edit it later. And as I was recording my video, I could hear my children running around up, upstairs above in the room, uh, room above me. And so I was like, oh man, it's going to ruin my video. And so I paused, I paused recording, waited, felt like they were done, started recording again, and soon enough, you know, I get like a minute or two into it, they start running around again. At this point, I just get frustrated. So I walk over to the door, I pull the door open, and I yell up the, up the stairs, y'all need to be quiet up there, I'm making a video for church. And uh, in that moment, the irony was not lost on me. (laughs) And I realized uh, how much of a fool I was being in the midst of all that. Uh, I will say, though, I think some of the the best sermons do come from from a place of not having it all figured out and struggling with the topic at hand. If you've ever experienced me being truly gentle, then you know it is only because of the work of God in my life and living into the better way. Of Jesus. Our scripture uh, lesson for today, our message for today, we see an example of Jesus showing us the better way, which only he can do as our moral guide as Christians. In this text, Jesus is teaching in the temple of Jerusalem and is interrupted by the scribes and Pharisees, some of the religious leaders at that time. They bring a woman to Jesus who was caught in the very act of committing adultery. And they make her stand before all of them. The text reads that she was caught, indicating that there were witnesses, thus suggesting that they might moot the prescribed sentencing, which would be to put her to death. The religious leaders say to Jesus, the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women. And they were correct that the law of Moses did say that people who were caught in the act of adultery should be put to death. Leviticus chapter 20 verse 10 reads, if a man commits adultery with, his, with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress shall be put to death. Additionally, Deuteronomy chapter 22 verse 22 reads, if a man is caught lying with the wife of another man, both of them shall die. The man who lay with the woman as well as the woman. So you shall purge the evil from Israel. Well, as one might imagine in the ancient Near East, the process for stoning an individual was absolutely brutal. 
and the dead body of the individual stoned afterwards was not often given a proper burial. And they bring this woman to Jesus while he is teaching in the temple in front of a crowd. They do this in an effort to trip Jesus up in their best attempts to create a lose-lose scenario for Jesus. If Jesus tells them to fulfill the law of Moses and to put the woman to death, then the religious leaders could bring charges against Jesus to Rome for being an enemy of the empire. Israel was under Roman occupation, and Rome alone had the authority to carry out execution. However, if Jesus did, does not condemn the woman, then the religious leaders could argue that Jesus does not adhere to the law of Moses. They bring this woman to Jesus in an attempt to trap Jesus to have grounds to condemn him. They don't care about the woman. They don't care about what is claimed that she has done. They don't care about the sin of adultery that has transpired. It takes two people to commit adultery. Where is the man who would have been caught in the act? If justice for breaking the law of Moses was being sought out, there would have been two on trial here and not just the woman. They see her as a means to an end. They use her as a token to push their own agenda and they're willing to get violent over it. We've seen a good bit of that in our country over the last couple of years and even the last couple of months, have we not? Additionally, we are pushed or feel compelled to give immediate response to an emotionally charged and complicated issues. Oftentimes, without waiting to fully understand the situation or contemplate both sides of the argument. If we actually want to bring change, if we actually want to bring understanding, the manner in which we go about it matters deeply. This is something I've learned uh, and something I often need to remind myself of as a father. When I am correcting my children, if I want them to hear and listen to what I'm saying, I need to do it in a gentle tone. If I yell in anger, then all they hear is anger and that what I'm trying to communicate. The same truth extends beyond the role of parenting. If there is an injustice that has taken place or change that needs to occur, then we must be tactful with our tone, words, and actions if we really want justice or change to occur. Otherwise, all that will be seen and all that will be heard is anger and can actually be counterproductive. Jesus responds in a truly amazing way in this situation. Jesus does not get violent. He does not yell at the top of his lungs. He does not use harsh language. Good model for us all. Rather, he, he initially gives no verbal response, but rather the text says, Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger, on the ground. All of this chaos is brought to him and an answer is demanded, but Jesus pauses before giving a response. Many have asked, what did Jesus write on the ground? And also many have speculated. The text does not tell us, so therefore we do not know. To focus one's attention on that detail of the story is to miss the point of the story 
altogether. The religious leaders question Jesus again, and then Jesus stands back up and gives his response. Let anyone among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Then Jesus bends back down and continues riding on the ground. One by one, the accusers walk away, beginning with the oldest. The accusers, being aware of the sin that has been in their own lives, step away. Eventually, everyone walks away until only Jesus and the woman remain. There's only one person there who was without sin. Only one person who was blameless and fit that criteria to execute justice on the woman, Jesus. And this was his response to her. Jesus straightened up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, sir. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go your way, and from now on, do not sin again. Jesus does not contradict the law of Moses, but since it is not Jesus' purpose to condemn, he does not read the law in a way that brings condemnation to sinners. But neither does Jesus acquit the woman of the charges brought against her. He does offer her a path for the future that honors God's will. Go your way, and from now on, do not sin again. I was impacted recently by the following quote from a local pastor who said, be a grizzly bear when it comes to knowing, understanding, and living out the truth. But be a teddy bear when you talk about the truth with other people. Know God's word and deliver it with God's heart. The key idea for the message today is this, be tough with the truth and tender with people. In this passage of scripture, I see Jesus modeling all of the facets of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. After all, there are not fruits of the Spirit, but rather just the fruit. There is no picking or choosing for us. Earlier I said to you that gentleness does not come naturally to me, and it doesn't. In fact, no facet of the fruit of the Spirit comes naturally to me. Not love, not joy, not peace, not patience, not kindness, not gentleness, not generosity, not faithfulness, nor self-control. None of this comes naturally because it's not the fruit of Chad Lauks. It's the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit does not come naturally to any of us. It's not the fruit of our own efforts the fruit of self-righteousness, or the fruit of self-help. We as humans have a nature of sin and are in desperate need of God to save us. This is one of our theological understandings as Christians. The fruit of the Spirit is the evidence of God's transformative and sanctifying grace in our lives. It is the work of God that takes place after we profess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and repent of our sins. We are justified because of the work of Jesus and forgiven and redeemed, growing to be perfected in love. As we conclude our study of the fruit of the Spirit, I thought it would be appropriate to end the sermon today by reading the text 
where we get this teaching about the fruit of the Spirit, and I'd like to read it in context. So I'm going to be reading Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 25. It says this, Live by the Spirit, I say, and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. For what the flesh desires is opposed to the Spirit, and what the Spirit desires is opposed to the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to prevent you from doing what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not subject to the law. Now the works of the flesh are, flesh are obvious. Fornication, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. I am warning you, as I warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. By contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, then let, also, let us also be guided by the Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Marietta First United Methodist Church podcast. For more information about Marietta First United Methodist Church, we invite you to connect with us online at mariettafumc.org or on Facebook at Marietta FUMC.